Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. unprecedented off-the-wall energy from Amber. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> oh. Hello, and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber, and it is 2022. <laughs> and we got new, we got some new tent for you. Um, uh, you can't. But before we get to the new tent, uh, we've Cut, got stop. some new patrons <laughs> I'm rebranding for the new year. I don't like this. (laughs) You don't like me to get hype? We've got some new patrons to shout out. Do you like that better, Anna? Thank you. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Melanie, Marie, and Noelle for subscribing over at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. And hey, hey, have you, you listener... By the way, I love that shirt. Have you left a rating and review? My pajama top? No, I'm talking to oh, the listener. Their shirt looks great. <laughs> Your shirt's also very good. Have you left okay. a rating and a review for The Dirt yet? If you like the show and you want to support us, that is a huge way to give us a boost. It helps new listeners find us and it makes us feel nice. So please do it. Tell your friends to do it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And this week in 2022, we're exploring the archaeology of the shoe culture, which has been in the news a few times this past year, mostly because of the site of San Jindui in what is today China. And not only has the site been in the news, but also <laughs> all of the unusual <laughs> artifacts that have been unearthed there and in a couple of other nearby sites. Yeah. So we say unusual. Unusual. Actually, what that means is different from quite a bit of the other material that is found elsewhere in Chinese archaeological sites. So this is a perfect example of the instinct we have as humans and as anthropologists to want to group things together in order to understand them. And by doing that, we run the risk of making sweeping generalizations like Bronze Age artifacts from this area all look like this, or people living at this time in Europe all ate this. So San Xingzui is really cool, but the thing that the media and consequently the public have grabbed onto is this idea of a lost civilization that made material culture unlike any seen before or since in this area. Oh, have we been baffled and or stunned? And we made discoveries. Archaeologists baffled. So, listeners... You surely will not be stunned or baffled or surprised to hear. It's actually more complicated than that. What? Yeah, yeah. And as a result, (laughs) way more interesting. Yeah. So let's get to it. And I will um, caveat up top. Anna has already informed me that both my inexperience with the Chinese language and my accent is (laughs) rendering my... um, my my relation of various names and places inaccurate so <laughs> we're both um, going to do our best yeah the shoe state flourished in during the eastern zhou period which ran from uh, 770 to 221 BCE but the state itself the state of shu uh, was politically isolated and it wasn't really part of the orbit of power of the Zhou rulers. So this is most likely because of the mountain ranges that separate modern Chengdu and Sichuan province, which is where the Shu state was located and the Yellow River floodplains below where the Zhou empire was centered. So we've got some geographic barriers here. Uh. Yeah, I love a geographic barrier. 
So right away, there's an indication that there's not a monolithic state at this time. There are multiple polities that interacted. We know this because there are historical records of the Shu and Zhou banding together to overthrow the Shang dynasty between the 17th and 11th centuries BCE. So put a pin in that extremely long and vague time frame. <laughs> 17th uh, to 11th like century. year. Like, it's a 600 uh, year blur of just like. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, So the Shu culture flourished in the fertile Sichuan Basin for several centuries. And then around 1100 or 1200 BCE, the area was abandoned. Around that same time, about 30 miles away from Sanjindui, another site called Jinsha popped up with similar material culture. Archaeologists who have studied these sites generally agree that Jinsha seems to be a continuation of Sanjindui culture and was probably built by the same people or, you know, their descendants. It wasn't like, I'm 600 years old and constructing a building. (laughs) Um, I mean, more power to you if you can. So it seems like something caused the people at San Jindui to pack up and get out of Dodge. Not Dodge is not a, a top of them here. No, it's, um, and it, into Jinsha. <laughs> so a teaser for about a half an hour from now. We do actually know what probably precipitated their move, but we'll get there towards the end of the show. We're building a narrative arc here. Come along with us theater of the mind much of what we know and by we we mean actual experts about the shoe state and specifically sanching comes from two pits excavated at the site in 1986 the same year i was excavated <laughs> <laughs> there were a few other discoveries by a farmer in that area in 1929 and informal excavation oof, organized by a Christian missionary in 1933. Mega oof. Mega oof, yeah. And a few other small-scale explorations in the 50s and 60s, but those only brought up a few bronze and jade fragments and other bits and pieces. The pits weren't excavated until 1986, and these were probably filled right around the time of the abandonment of the city. Their discovery was really exciting for Chinese archaeology and everyone else also, because this stuff looked really different from most other material from around the same time in other places in China. Not only that, everything in these pits, hundreds of jade objects, bronzes, and ivory, so like really, really valuable materials, have been deliberately broken and or burned before burial. So let's talk about some of these objects. A note here on the sources we're using and the extent to which we're using them. In writing this script, I was limited by my inability to read Chinese, so I've tried to use as many English-language publications by Chinese authors and organizations as possible, and I will cite them when I use them. Yeah, and that's something that um, I feel like every time we talk about a site from a place that is sort of underrepresented in the Anglophone literature, we sort of come up against this. And so... Once again, I am the Bernie Sanders meme. Once Once again, again, I'm asking you. I am asking you, if you are a specialist in this corner of the world, if you have language skills that you apply towards that, um, and, and really anything like this, anything that is underrepresented in our body of work. The Dirt Podcast um, at gmail.com. Yeah, we're not, and we're not asking you to do free labor. No, no, no. We want. We to, also put that up. We want to. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We just um, want to talk to you about. Yeah, your work. Yeah, you can come on the show or point us in the direction of other things or um, just or highlight work being done, sort of um, in translation or sort of cross languages. Yeah, I want to say like yes. cross culturally, but like. No, uh, like, I understand what you mean. Hit just us sort up. Of, yeah, please. I just want to make sure the listener understands. Okay. Because you're basically inside my head. So it's, just, it's weird in there. But but yeah, hit us up. It is weird in there. Yeah. And so musty. <laughs> Not as musty as this room I'm sitting in that oh, smells no. like dead possum. Something died under my house, everyone. And it's gross. And 2022 is going great. I just, my office is so stinky. Okay. So this comes from a 2021 article by Wu Haiyun and Ye Rulin, published on the Sixth Tone website, which is, it's a Chinese news site, and their tagline is, Fresh News from Today's China. 
so quote, in 1986, workers at a brick factory near Moon Bay unearthed yet another cache of jade relics and reported the find to the Sichuan Archaeological Institute. The institute dispatched a few researchers to the factory, which sat on top of a hillock known as Sanqingdui, or Three Stars Mound. There, they found a hole measuring 4.5 meters by 3.3 meters, what would later become known as the number one sacrificial pit. Where number one? The researchers eventually extracted 420 nice, fragments of artifacts from the pit, including hundreds of seashells, gold scepters, and bronze molds of human faces. Then, a month later, they found a second pit near the first, containing an even stranger collection of objects. Under the topsoil lay dozens of elephant tusks, covering a densely packed layer of bronzes. Over the following weeks, the researchers pulled 1,500 objects out of pit two. By the time they finished it, it had begun to dawn on them, <laughs> you'd think it would have begun to dawn on them, that they'd made one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. The hall included some truly jaw-dropping objects, including a towering bronze sculpture of a tree with dagger-like leaves and birds nesting among its carved branches. The tree, which is over four meters tall and weighs more than 800 kilograms, is the largest bronze artifact from the period ever unearthed worldwide. We'll get to the tree in a little bit. Wait, how much How much is that in English? Look it up while I finish reading this quote, okay. please. But the prize find was a huge bronze statue known as the Large Standing Figure, a giant, intricately detailed rendering of a man standing 2.6 meters tall and weighing nearly 200 kilograms. How much is 800 kilograms? Okay. 800 kilograms is 1,763.7 pounds. Yeah. So that's like almost like a one-ton hunk of bronze. Yeah. And so, Amber, there's a link here. Um, and I want you to click on it because it is going to show you what I'm going to talk about. This is the large standing figure. A 1987 archaeological report by Shen Zhongchang in the journal Wen Wu describes the large standing figure thusly. Quote, the bronze figure is tall and large. It has large eyes, a straight nose, square cheeks, and large ears. Upon its head is a crown or headpiece. The body is long and thin. Its right arm is held up to its forehead, while its bent left arm is held out in front of the breast. Both hands are held in a circular grip that originally held an object. So, quick theater of the mind interjection here. The way that the hands are held, the object in question would need, would need to be curved. So, keep that in mind. The collar or lapel of the long robe is attached on the left. The overlap of the robe covers the knees, while in the back it reaches the ground. The robe is decorated with yunlei patterns, which I tried really hard to look up and could not find. So, patterns. The figure stands unshod with ankle bracelets upon a square base. End quote. So, in this write-up of this figure, Zhang Chang speculates that the object the statue once held might be a zong, an object that would have been curved on the inside and square on the outside, as in a circle inside a rectangle or a square. And that's thought to have been linked with religious or shamanistic activity, possibly with warding off evil or ensuring protection, good fortune, and in funerary contexts, eternal rest. And he concludes, quote, we do not disagree with the conclusion that this figure symbolizes the head of the shaman class among contemporary men of Shu. It may also represent a certain king of Shu, end quote. And shout out to Robert A. Jones for his translation of this document and to JSTOR for 100 free articles. <laughs> there okay so there are no known written records from the known no known right written records from the people who lived at San Jindui. in fact no written material has ever been found at the site so there are only mentions in historical documents that were written much later Often, those historical documents dismiss San Jindui as something of a cultural backwater which is a big historical document vibe. Yep. The Chronicles of Huayang, a history compiled during the Jin Dynasty, which was which ran from 266 to 420 CE, which again, centuries after San Jindui, yep. um, flourished. During the Jin Dynasty, which was which ran from 266 to 420 CE, 
centuries after San Jandui flourished, um, there was a document called the Chronicles of Hua Yang. And the Chronicles of Hua Yang described a Shu state that originated in the upper regions of the Men River, which is a tributary of the Yangtze and runs through Sichuan province, 3,500 years before the time that it was written. So, old. Old. Capital so O. Said, old. With an E at the end. Old. Old. Uh, so over the next millennium, five dynasties ruled Shu before the kingdom gradually declined and was conquered by the Chen state in 316 BCE. So that's pretty much the extent of the write up in the Chronicles of, uh, Chronicles of Hua Yang. Yep. I said like it originated, it did whatever it did, and then it got conquered. Uh, <laughs> so that's it. And so, in fact, most Chinese descriptions of the Shu are more of mystery <laughs> than history. So, like the tale of King Duyu, who is said to have transformed into a cuckoo after his death and sang to the farmers in springtime to remind them to plant their crops on time. Sounds like a bit of a nag. Yes. <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, but also, I, this sent me down a brief uh, internet. Cuckoo hole? Cuckoo hole, yeah, because I... There's a lot of um, cross-cultural use of the cuckoo associated with time. And I was like, huh, is the cuckoo especially well-scheduled? Um, and yeah, it turns out that they're very regular about returning to their habitats in springtime. So they're often used as a, a harbinger of spring and a reminder to plant spring crops. So there you go, the cuckoo. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to quote again from the sixth tone article. Mm -hmm. Even when sources do mention the Shu state, they tend to dwell mainly on its remoteness. Given Sichuan province's mountainous topography, travel to the region would have been challenging. The Chinese poet Li Bai summed up the kingdom's reputation in his 8th century CE work, Hard Roads in Shu. Oh, but it is high and very dangerous. Such traveling is harder than scaling the blue sky until two rulers of this region pushed their way through in the misty ages. 48,000 years had passed with nobody arriving across the Chen border. End quote. End quote. <laughs> until the pins, until end the poem, discovery end of quote. <laughs> Um, until the discovery of Pitts 1 and 2 in 1986, historians had assumed that the Shu state was mythical. And when a place that was long thought to be mythical turns up in real life and has material culture that looks different than anyone expected, you can, you sure can bet. You can bet your bippy that some <laughs> space weirdos grabbed onto it and ran with it. Um, and actually tragically that's how i knew that's how i found out about this place yeah um because there was a story that that came out sometime last year that was like archaeologists basically like archaeologists beg you to please stop saying this was aliens and i was like oh go on <laughs> um and so that so this has been going on since the 80s yeah um and there was a a um reprise of, yeah. of this recently because there were some recent archaeological finds from San Jindui and we will talk about them but unfortunately they came along with something of a resurgence of people crying alien um, so oh here's the article yeah. <laughs> that I found last year and yep. sent to you I'm glad you kept it yeah. um, so this this is from March 2021 which is how long I've been thinking about doing an episode on this site <laughs> and, and sort of this Phenomenon. Thing, yeah. This topic, yeah. that's the word topic. Um, so this article was published in the South China Morning Post um, and written by um, Chen Chen. Um, Who also, I believe, goes by Stephen because I saw multiple iterations of this same article published in different outlets. And some okay. said Chin and some said Stephen. So, okay. Yeah. Um, good to know. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, so the headline is historical discovery revives wild theories of an alien civilization in ancient China, but experts say no way. <laughs> that's, that's all it takes. Indeed we do. So quote now quoting this article, the Sanchendui ruins, which date back to the bronze age 3000 years ago, have been the source of one pleasant surprise after another <laughs> uh, following decades uh. of digging and archeological research. 
Many unearthed statuettes featuring figures with exaggerated appearances have led some people to theorize whether the site had once been visited by aliens. Lei Yu, an archaeologist of the Sichuan Provincial Provincial <laughs> Sichuan Provincial Cultural Relics and Archaeological Research Institute, try fitting that on a business card, is quoted saying, some artistically exaggerated goddess statues cannot be said to be aliens. End quote. Yep. Um, so in March of 2021, Chinese archaeologists unearthed more than 500 relics and six ancient sacrificial pits. Some of the artifacts made of jade are very similar to relics unearthed from the early two site, which archaeologists believe was a former capital of the late Jia dynasty. So, uh, which ran from 2070 BCE to 1600 BCE. Both of these sites are representative examples of bronze age civilizations, according to Chinese archaeologists. It's, I think, really two things. The combination of a formerly mythical or thought to be mythical culture turning up and the fact that these objects are very stylized. They're, they're made in a style that the eyes are sort of almond shaped and elongated. The facial features are sort of very sharp. The the masks, there are were several bronze masks unearthed, and they remind me specifically of the in Spider-Man, the Willem Dafoe character, the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin? Yeah, it looks the masks look quite a bit like Green Goblin face. And so like these stylized features are probably a big part of the alien stuff. The, oh, that definitely. and the, like the lost civilization trope that really it really plays into that. Um, well, they so exaggerated eyes, yeah, that are sort of almond shaped, uh huh, and 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 sort of um, tilted up outwards, yeah. yep, and and exaggerated in such a way that they sort of map onto yeah, the the um, classic the, little green man eyeballs. Well, not the little green man, the grays. Oh, the grays. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, Wrong category. Yeah, we all have our uh, corners of taxonomy that we care about. Um, But I say that because like the gray aliens and the gray alien trope, I think I mentioned this in the um, in the Mothman episode, like my little pet theory of this is um, the um, sort of the emergence of um, sort of broad alien ideas and sort of the, the gray's appearance and the uh, men in black have like having similarly like mm-hmm. uh, weird exaggerated eyes not, and, and not the not the movies the men in black that are yeah thought so, to be yeah, super so in paranormal stuff yeah so this is sort of um as the cold war is really hotting up and and as so there's yeah and um I mean, it certainly was in terms of murdering people in other countries. Yeah. Uh, so, Good point. Um, but, but this idea that it's the, um, my little theory that it is connected in um, – it's connected to racist caricatures. Right. And, and othering and, of the, the people that we were most afraid of at that time. Yeah. And so if you think about uh, – if you think about – highly stylized art and sort of uh, representations of human bodies that are made more abstract. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like in the context of, of making this art, like it isn't, it isn't racist, but sort of that taking, taking yeah, taking a stylized um, representation and fitting it into taking it out a, of its context and, and taking it out of its context and trying to categorize it alongside representations that one could argue are based in racist caricature. <laughs> yeah. And if it is racist, yes. <laughs> so, so like the transitive property of racist caricatures states that um and so i think that that's something that's why like that's why it fits in because in my in my estimation a lot of um a a lot of the the basis of how grays are represented and how aliens are represented as they emerged in the 50s and 60s cold war comes from comes from like 
anti-Asian racism. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think that, I think I will stand by that. <laughs> I think you should. And so, you know, the thing, the thing that's really kind of tragic apart from the racism is that the, the fact that it's characterized as this lost civilization, I mean, it sort of is. Yeah. Because we don't really know exactly what happened to these people, but that's not the coolest thing about it. It's this cultural enclave that developed on its own away from other contemporary Chinese polities. Uh, and it had this unique artistic tradition and probably a unique culture that we don't know much about. And we have the opportunity to learn more about as we, we, as, as excavations at Sanqing Dui yeah. uh, continue. And as so the discipline. Yeah. Thank you. We, the discipline. Yes. So, I mean, let's leave the space weirdos shouting into the void where they belong and get back to the archaeology right after a quick ad break. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. This is Chris Webster at the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. We're back. And before the break, we teased some new discoveries from Sanching Dui. So let's talk about those. We'll have a link in the show notes to a slideshow from Xinhua News Net um, of some of these artifacts that are newly excavated. But I will describe them to you now. I love them. I just love it. Yeah. No, I love it too. You just, you had like I love- permanent. I'm not used to recording with caffeinated amber. I know. It's wow. Okay, speaking of goblins, my goodness. <laughs> coffee goblin. I'm the coffee goblin. <laughs> In 2019. But also I've been excited to talk about this for almost a year because so I have happening. such so I have such a narrow view of Chinese archaeology. Yeah, we, sort of we know nothing. Because because China has such a long history of states. Yeah, that it's very easy to be like, oh, I taught China. I did a survey of China, but there's so, but but, but there's like such variation. East Asia yeah. and what is considered China today is so huge, and there is so much diversity of geography and populations. And we we we've talked about that. We've touched on that here and there, and in, in, with different episodes and mm-hmm. aspects. But um, if you don't learn much about it. You never get close to learning anything like this. And so when I when I learned about this last year because of the space weirdos, I was just like, oh, my God. Like and it's just one of those moments that I've been learning about other cultures and the past and archaeology for a long time, like almost 20 years now of like actively learning about this. And yet the fact that I was like. 33 years old and happened upon an article that's like this stuff that I have never seen anything like it before. There was that moment of like, 
oh my God. And yeah, it's and like, like that, hearing a really important album for the first time or something. Yeah. And just being like, I had no idea that yeah. this was out there. And mm-hmm. so it just sort of unlocks, like it's like opening a door into like a whole other wing unlocked. of a building yeah. that is, is like, well, what wow. other stuff don't I know about? And, and just like having those little moments of being like, I'm so small and I know such little is really exciting for me. And so that's why I'm making the coffee goblin face because this is so yeah. cool. And like looking at the stuff, I'm just like, oh my God. And like, I worked at the Asian art museum for a while. Yeah. you like, Well, <laughs> I knew about Asian art. <laughs> like it's, just not this stuff. Yeah. All right. Duh. Well, listeners, I hope that when you see the slideshow of these these artifacts, that you are just you a tenth become the coffee goblin. Just a tenth of, as excited as Amber is right now. So, in 2019, researchers found six additional pits close to the two uncovered in the 80s. So, these are in the reports numbered sequentially. So, these are pits three through eight. Like the first two, they all appear to be sacrificial sites filled with ritual artifacts. The find that really caught media attention was a complete gold mask, 37.2 centimeters wide, 16.5 centimeters high, and about 100 grams in weight. Its features are similarly stylized, just like the bronzes unearthed in earlier excavations, so it's thought to have once been attached to the face of a bronze statue rather than being a separate object. Meanwhile, and this is an understatement, a large bronze mask, so right, I'm going to do this in inches for Amber's sake, but 53 inches wide... Twenty nine inches high, almost um, five feet wide, and more than two feet high, was excavated from Pit Three. It is the largest bronze mask ever discovered at the site. Probably, arguably, the largest bronze mask excavated ever. I don't know. No, I don't say that. Who oh, knows? No, I'm not also, making what that. What a weird, cl- what a weird like series. This is very like Guinness Book of World Records. Lots of like, yeah, extremely most qualified. Most chainsaws juggled on a unicycle while wearing no shoes on a Monday before the vernal equinox. Yeah, like this. <laughs> yeah. Another item from Pit Three is a large bronze sacred tree, which matches or might even be part of the bronze tree sculpture with dagger-shaped leaves found in the 1986 okay. excavations. So let's talk so about it's that tree. Even bigger. Let's talk it could about that tree. Be even bigger. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So it took. That's the other thing. This stuff is so big. It's really big and so much it's bronze so and so heavy. You better hope it gets assembled in place because you're not moving that. It took eight I think years. You might be moving that. Well, they did. They put it in a pit. It took eight years to clean, restore, and reassemble the now 3.96 meter, just under 13 feet tall, bronze holy tree, which is displayed at the Sanching Dui Museum in Sichuan province. Experts say that the tree should be even higher as its treetop is still missing. So maybe that's what was uncovered. Maybe that's the top. The newly excavated tree took more than four months to uncover because it was so tightly packed in the pit with other artifacts. So it was just sort of completely, it's like tusks, like ivory tusks were used as packing peanuts. It's like they were so tightly packed around the bronze artifacts that like just excavating that, thinking about excavating that is just, oh. The meaning of the tree is still unknown, but its size and the amount of craftsmanship that went into it are giveaways that whatever it was, it was important. The tree's main trunk rises from a three-sided base that is shaped like a mountain. At three levels on the trunk, three branches emerge, each bearing three fruits. Numerology. Nine no. of these... <laughs> no, it's not, but you know. No. Three is clearly an important <laughs> number here. I'm... I'm- I'm smacking your your hand. <laughs> with a newspaper. No. no. <laughs> Nine of the fruits point upwards, each with a bird standing on it. Experts believe it reflects the ancient Shu people's worship of the solar deity. I am in no position to evaluate this hypothesis. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so, like, not only is this so big, it's it's big. It's big. It's made of bronze. It like, heavy. It's, it's big. It was complex to to create and yeah. involved, like, quite a bit of resources. And it's clearly symbolic of, of something. Something? Well, either it's very symbolic of something and a value, or it wasn't, which, like, 
dear God, imagine what what would go into something that was. That was just just decor. Right, exactly. (laughs) But I I doubt it. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. Okay, so (laughs) some of the other bronze items unearthed from the more recent excavations are statues of varying sizes. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, you know, from figurines to full-on, you know, like bigger-than-life statues. I think that's also something that probably attracted some of the like space weirdos is like, it's so big. This mask is so big. Imagine how big your face would have been for it to fit on. Really? Like, doesn't mean you have to wear it. To <laughs> um, this quote, um, I forgot to, yeah. to cite it for you. It is from the Global Times of Canada. Okay. No, wait, that's wrong. China. Um, China. CN is, CN is China. This comes from the Global Times of China. Okay, so the Global Times of China um, featured an article in September 2021 uh, by Chen Ji saying, quote, One standing figure is being jokingly called the ancient ancestor of the popular Japanese superhero Ultraman by many Chinese netizens due to the pointed crown on its head and large pair of protruding eyes. And I I have two Um, side-by-side pictures in the script here for Amber. Uh, Obviously, this is a joke. Like, clearly. I know. They are like, but but, gosh, they do look similar. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, those netizens. Back at it again. Those netizens. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read another quick quote from the Global Times article. Another bronze statue that has captured the, atten- the attention of many Chinese archaeologists due to his unique pose. The figure is kneeling down with his head turned to the right and his hands are on the front left side of his body. But most interestingly, the figure is standing on the balls of both feet with his heels high in the air. Currently, the third and fourth pits have produced 729 and 1,073 relics, respectively. including three, respectively, yeah. including three relics made from unknown materials. <laughs> <laughs> Excavation of the third pit is nearly complete. Meanwhile, 200 ivory relics have been discovered in the eighth pit, and it is estimated that all of these ivory pieces will be extracted from the pit come October. Um, which, which is in the past. Yeah. At time of <laughs> um, recording. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, but Anna couldn't find an update, but no. also again, amazing. This, like all of this work that's like taking years and is a huge project that like, we don't know anything about because we don't read Chinese. I know that's, that's, that's on us. It is. Yes. It's, it's not on them. Yeah. Um, and that so, was the end of that quote. Yeah. From that, we can say the following things about Sanjendui, which seems to have been much more than the pokey backwater described in Chinese historical texts, which I feel like my entire life is dedicated to being like, but it's not about like any <laughs> about pokey sense. backwaters. Yeah. So there was a religion or at least a shamanistic question mark, royal question mark, tradition that was important enough to warrant the creation of multiple massive works of bronze, as well as the use of gold and ivory, hugely valuable materials that needed to be mined or, or hunted or otherwise procured, processed, and then turned by like trained gifted craftspeople into the objects we've been describing. Which, and you know, the ivory probably means trade. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there are Asian elephants, but I just mean like these these well, prestige. not necessarily in the Sichuan province. Yeah, exactly. There's not elephants yeah. bopping around the mountains. So yeah. Know. Also, you can get ivory from other things. That is true. I'm just good point. Um, just <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind of ivory. You can find out what kind of ivory something is by testing it, but yeah, I don't know what this ivory yeah, is. Yeah, they they were described um, as tusks, so I just I. Uh, I assumed elephant, but you're right. Could have been something else. Hippo. Could be walrus. Walrus. Mm-hmm. Could be boar. Oh, it could be. Uh, Is yeah. there boar ivory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, could all of those uh, boar tooth helmets from. Uh, oh, shoot. That's right. The Mediterranean. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so in addition to that, it means that these people had technology to do all of those things. Yep. Um, because like bronze. It doesn't, it doesn't grow on trees. It yeah. may be made and into it also, trees. 
Oh. Oh. Um, but you know, we we've talked about like copper, how it's a, it's possible to like cold work copper, where you're just like ting 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 ting. Yeah, you can't do that with a chunk of copper. You can't just smash a chunk. Because doesn't exist in the wild. Yeah, you can't just smash copper and tin together and just. Another thing we know is that the objects found are made in a very distinctive style, which experts suggest means that the shoe culture developed independently of other local states. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it at least developed independently and for whatever reason elected not to incorporate any other styles it may have encountered. Yeah, it doesn't mean that like they there, were there entirely is a, isolated. It just means yeah, that they there were, is a strong tradition. Yeah, there is an artistic thing. tradition that is of significance to this population. Yep. So there were also city walls found, as well as remnants of buildings that may have been large residences. Yeah, so, Um, you know, we've been talking just about objects, but there were places here, too. Yeah, yeah. And and so I also want to, I just want to mention, from what we've seen so far, like from what we've discussed, there is no default evidence that this was like highly stratified or like so the whole thing like was it royal not necessarily yeah i'm not saying that this is like the anarchist utopia i'm not saying that (laughs) but i'm saying that like evidence for like evidence for technology of of use uh, of sort of command of raw materials to make um something beautiful like those those are often tied in with sort of elevated civilization or states or or something that has like stratified yeah. um so where there's someone who is commissioning something yeah and we don't know for sure do it. what the structure yeah, of this society we don't, we was. don't know that that's what was happening here yep gonna read a little bit more from that six tone it's a really good now. article it's very in-depth yeah it's really good yeah In 2013, a few kilometers from the sacrificial pits, researchers discovered massive rows of unusual marks. Just a bunch of weird guys. (laughs) Oh, hi, I'm Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. (laughs) No, Um, these unusual marks are believed to be the remains of walls and pillars from a cluster of buildings. One of the structures was around 65 meters long, making it one of the largest Bronze Age buildings ever found in China. Pokey backwater much? Back to the article. Given its huge scale, many experts suggest the Jingguanshan structure was likely a palace, but other researchers are skeptical. The marks indicate the building only had side doors. Most palaces from the period had doors on their front facades. It may have, in fact, been a state-owned warehouse for storing treasure or weapons, a less glamorous but still important find. Uh, surrounding the Jingguanshan buildings and sacrificial pits, meanwhile, are a string of human-built mounds, which archaeologists suspect to be the remains of a city wall, end quote. Yeah. So here's our fifth thing that we know. <laughs> um, all of these clearly valuable objects, so like valuable in terms of there was labor invested in them and there were resources invested mm-hmm. in them. Not like this means so much to me. It's like this is something that I could otherwise be melting down to to make something else. Yeah, to make something Um, utilitarian. But no. And someone spent a lot of time doing it when they could have been doing something else. Um, So these were sacrificed and buried in pits right around the time the city was abandoned, suggesting that, to put it mildly, some major disruption had occurred. Around the same time, a site with very similar cultural material popped up about 30 miles away. So this is like the Mr. Peeps and his his Parmesan. Is that <laughs> Samuel Peeps? <laughs> I just like described a children's book. I know. Too, <laughs> yeah, I it took me a minute to parse that, but listeners, what Amber is referring to when she says Mr. Peeps and his Parmesan is the fact that Samuel Peeps buried a giant and very valuable wheel of Parmesan cheese in his on his property uh, at the time of the Great Fire of London. So, back to Sanjindui, what yep. happened? Mm. Uh, do archaeologists know why Sanjindui was abandoned and why its people packed up, tossed all their precious goods into pits, and moved to a new spot to start over? The answer may surprise you. 
The answer may not surprise you because it's maybe, uh, but we will tell you all about it after one more quick break. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. We're back. Time to resolve that cliffhanger. As we mentioned earlier, about 14 years ago, archaeologists found the remains of another ancient city called Jinsha near the modern city of Chengdu. The Jinsha site, though it didn't have any of the same impressive bronzes as Sangchengdui, did have a gold crown, and that was decorated with a similar engraved motif of fish, arrows, and birds as a golden staff found at Sangchengdui, which, along with some other evidence, has led some scholars to believe that the people from Sangchengdui may have relocated to Jinsha. So today, Sanxingdui sits in a large floodplain with 4.3 miles or 7 kilometers of high terraced walls. And when I say that, I mean they're naturally occurring. So these terraces are are from uh, alluvial flow, river flow. So those were unlikely to have been cut by the small river that now flows through it. So after the devastating earthquake that hit Sichuan in 2008, Nian Fan, a researcher specializing in river systems at Sichuan University in Chengdu, wondered if a similar seismic event had affected the area 3,000 years ago. His interest was first piqued when he noticed that the ravines and beds holding a number of waterways leading to and passing the Sanqingdui site were much wider than their current rate of flow would suggest, indicating that they had once held much larger rivers. Some historical records support that hypothesis. In 1099 BCE, Chinese chroniclers recorded an earthquake in the capital of the Zhou dynasty in Shaanxi province. That spot is roughly 250 miles or 400 kilometers from the Sanqingdui ruins, but it's possible that the earthquake's epicenter was actually close to Sanqingdui. It just wasn't recorded mm. there. So remember, there's no evidence of writing preserved at Sanqingdui, so we don't know. And it doesn't mean that they didn't have writing. It just means that maybe it was recorded on perishable organic stuff like silk or wood or paper. There's just nothing preserved, so we don't know. Geological evidence also suggests that an earthquake occurred in the general region between 3,330 and 2,200 years ago. Also, they didn't have to have writing. No, no, no. That's not a prerequisite. Just once again, being like, poking holes in the whole like hallmarks of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, they could be super organized and, uh, you know, and have some other system of, and not actually yeah. have any system of writing, have other systems of um, knowledge, yeah, transferring storage and transmission. Yeah. Yeah. So around the same time, geological sediments in the floodplain suggest massive flooding occurred. A later Han Dynasty document titled The Chronicles of the Kings of Shu. So this is the one of the ones that's most, mo- mostly mythical. <laughs> mostly mythical, but maybe based on nuggets of truth. Aww. So that chronicle records ancient floods pouring from a mountain in a spot that suggests a river's waters being diverted. So all of that together, with all of that, Nian Yanfan concluded that a major earthquake could have triggered a landslide that dammed the river, rerouting its flow and reducing water flow to Shan- mm. Sanqingdui. So perhaps Sanqingdui experienced a sudden loss of most of their access to water, which would definitely adversely affect the population. The location of the Jinsha site could be where the new path of the dammed river ended up flowing. So did the people of Sanqingdui move downriver? That is the current hypothesis, but it still doesn't fully explain the burial pits. Agnes Su Tang, an archaeologist and host of the Mysteries of China series on History Channel Asia, said, quote, These sacrificial pits might not have anything to do with the fleeing, but may have been a sacrificial ritual carried out regardless of the natural disaster. There is evidence suggesting they did not do it in a hurry, that it was very deliberate, and that the objects were not meant to be recovered. And that's what remains so mysterious, end quote. Mm. So it could be that the the diminution of the water access, thank you, was that a good word, <laughs> um, happened over a period of time. 
like water flow was okay. reduced maybe. And so maybe it was sort of a sustained sacrifice in a way that like we're trying to make these conditions improve or something okay. else entirely was going on. Um, it could have just been a corresponding ritual activity yeah, that had nothing to do that they with did that, that sort of like, we've got a new one. So let's retire the old one and retire. Yeah, the sure. Maybe, yeah. And, and then it stopped happening when they moved. Yeah. They just happened to move. Those pits may have um, been accumulated over, over a long period of time. That might not be the case that it was just and like then, a, a And then when they moved leave. 30 miles away to establish a new city, they weren't going to haul at 30. They Oh, too heavy. They could. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that's really, oh, that's what a great instance of um, archaeological interpretation being circumstantial. Yeah. I was just like, we don't know uh-huh. if they would have kept doing that for centuries we don't or millennia. Why they did it. We if don't they know. stayed there. Yeah. Like maybe they would have kept doing it. Maybe they had been doing it. And they're like, well, we have to move. And I'm not hauling that two tons of, of tree bronze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, so let's just, let's, let's just kill it. It's like, just, let's just put it to rest. And mm-hmm. then we will, we will make another one when we get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it could be both. It could be neither. Ugh. Ooh, great. Mystery. This is so, ugh. so like we said, do we know what happened at San Xingdui? Maybe. Do we know the whole story? Definitely not. Absolutely not. Nope. Absolutely. Not. We sure don't. But excavations are still going on at this site. Um, it's a, an extremely well-funded excavation. Um, which Good. Good. Yeah. So it's very likely that new information will come to light. And we are looking forward to learning more of the story. And we'll let you know. Yeah. We know something. But if it's not been impressed upon you yet, we're so happy <laughs> to be back. Caffeine or not. After hiatus. Um, and sharing more stories from archaeology and anthropology with you, our dear, dear listeners, this year is going to be lit. Um, it's going to, or whatever. L- literature? New. Yes. This, <laughs> this year will be lit review. And so there will be more treats for your ears next week and every other week thereafter ad infinitum, except for January's. Um, and you can find all of that. As always, on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, on Audible, and wherever else you find your podcast. (laughs) There's no judgment. Uh, Wherever you find your podcast is great with us also. Wherever you find your podcasts, fine. But if you'd also leave us a review where you find your podcast, that would be great. Thanks. Please do. Please do. Please Pretty please. You can also find us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast, on Twitter you can follow us at Dirt Podcast and on Instagram, we're at the Dirt Pod. And if you want to see all of those feeds together in one place because you're not a social media type, fine. Uh, plus links to our merch store, our Patreon, extra educational resources, and even more, head over to our website, which is thedirtpod.com. Thanks, everybody. We're so glad to be back. We love you. Goodbye. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.